Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Today we are accompanied by a, a lovable, and as I'm told, the most handsome person we've ever had on this podcast. Before you think Nick, he wants you to think that. He's here too. But we're talking, of course, Thomas of Flyos. That's what we're referring to. Thomas, thank you for coming back to join us, man. It's always a blast. Always. Always a pleasure to come here. And I have to add, the most handsome, bold people in the room, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, of course, I'm accompanied by uh, Brennan. Hey, everyone. Chris. Hey, everyone. And I already said Nick. He, whether you said hey, something. I just, uh, just ignore me. Just ignore me. <laughs> All right, so today, Tome of Secrets is actually a, a lovable book uh, because it's one of the... We, we typically skip books that have high crunch, as the term has been formulated, but we all kind of like crunch, right? I've noticed that. We enjoy going through it, kind of picking out the detail, or at least the hot buttons to talk about as this stuff changes and evolves. This book is no different. But I want to draw attention to something. Brennan, <laughs> Brennan, would you like to share your story about Micah Vikos here at the beginning of Tome of Secrets? Yeah, yeah, I would, Bob. Actually, um, I was never was never a huge Mike Vikos fan. Like met him in the the masquerade. I met him right first. Introduced him in the modern setting. <laughs> he was good. Going back through dark ages, right? I'm like, oh, I get to see him now. This dude was on Death and Soul. Why is he on Sin here? And why is he like on on Path of Metamorphosis over on this part, right? Like he jumped all over the place, and it never made sense to me. And in this book, in this opening story, we actually see one of his reasons for jumping onto a different path and i'm like oh well this this might be illuminating and i hated it 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 wasn't it was like the worst what was written was i need to change myself my identity in order to survive so i'm going to jump onto a different path in the end given i wouldn't say that uh it was at all a question uh or a, a part of one of many reasons that he gave like, it was the definitive reason. The man was in a full-blown panic because he knew what happened to these folks, and then he went through the effort of trying to figure out how to stop himself from that same fate. Right, which, in my mind, completely invalidates getting on a path. Now, let me let me get in this debate real quick, just elbow in a little bit, do a little explaining. What they're referring to is this is talking about the, the Bloodless Crusade. Right, If you haven't heard of it, it's because you probably haven't heard of it anywhere until this, this tome. Which is a, a lot of what makes this book awesome, I'd, I'd argue. It's, I a different, so. it's different for everybody, mm -hmm. right? Hearing this for the first time. And what Brent's trying to say is that the Bloodless Crusade is about some weird cult that's following some signs as they travel through the dark medieval of all the dark ages that is there. And they have a series of letters they're finding to compose of what they encountered from the people involved. Now, we're going to skip all the fun stuff, meaning all the cool descriptions that the, the author used. And we're just going to go to what it was that was going on. These people were traveling without having to feed. For like like months at a time. Like they just didn't have to feed. And strangely they all noticed that they weren't getting hungry. But they were warned that at the end of this, this ends badly. Right? But who knows what they were going for. And there's all sorts of stuff in there to tell, to tell what's going on. And, and mysticism and a dark ages flavor. Which of course is the point of the blood of this crusade even being written about. Until, Berntron, I'm just going to restate what you said. We had to make it make make sense why Micah Vikos is flipping all these philosophies of roads, right? Typically, 
that's not a done thing. Everybody up to this point heard us review where there have been hard books written that said it's near impossible to jump from one road. Like you go from humanity to a path of following and that's your accepted life. And that's your new way of being. You don't just flip the core of who you are. Unless apparently you're Mike Vikos. And one author liked them on one path, another author liked them on another path. And as they noticed this throughout the whole evolution when White Wolf had it, different uh, companies purchased it and those authors got at it. And they had to make it make sense. This book created a story as to why maybe only Vikos, because of metamorphosis, was the being that could adapt and change in true Zemis fashion. What do you guys think about that? Go for it, Thomas. Well, it's the exception to the rule. Uh, if there is one NPC that has the ability to change himself, herself, itself, in, in different ways, that's got to be him. That's got to be it. And uh, it, it shows the different area of change that he's able to. He's not only able to throw his uh, sexual package to the to the head of the Camarilla, <laughs> is also able to change path like no uh, no other kindred can. And uh, I find it a little bit cheesy, but it, it also gives reflection and uh, leads on what you can do uh, with uh, such interesting characters. But th there is some give or take, definitely. I think that's the essence of a metamorphosis, isn't it? Being able to transition between not just uh, physical uh, manifestations, but spiritual ones as well. Well, the argument therein for any metamorphosis is going to be, and we know how our fans love crunch, right, to make it make sense. The mechanics state if you're a that's a metamorphosis thought, then you're a metamorphosis. Then you're not changing a philosophy, which then defies that point. However, in spirit, right. I agree with you. There's the very essence of metamorphosis when you're able to evolve, and that's, and that's what goes with it. I would, I would agree with that 100%, but the story does a beautiful thing. Most, most writing up to this point, we had to invent different stances to take on a lot of what was written because it didn't leave room for imagination this does right where i feel with confidence you could go to the opposite dj right now could say i think it sucks he's terrible he's the worst choice ever everyone stick to your own sandbox how dare you and he's still correct because there's more than enough written to back that point up however without them having to say it for the first time it's a breath of fresh air they don't tell you do what you want they just leave it as it is Right? Yep. And if you, if you bought the book, use it as you want. It's just a tool. And so, with that in mind, keep an open mind what we're about to go over. Because inside, you're going to find abyss mysticism. Of course, ties to La Sombra fans everywhere. We've had snippets. You've had people take stabs at it. This actually defines it. It goes into what it is. Some cool mechanics with it, we, which we will get into here shortly. More in-depth look at Astomite Sorcery. A different look. Especially when they define element. Dun-dun-dun. Then you also have uh, holy things they go into, literally what you think. They just title it holy things. Why bother? <laughs> Give it its own little section. That's what it's there. A couple five thumbs. Knightly orders are in this book. Caldenism, necromancy, sedite sorcery, unholy things, and of course warfare. Now, to let you know what we're going to hard discuss, meaning we're going to take time with, abyss mysticism, asimite sorcery, caldenism, necromancy, sedite sorcery. The rest of this stuff, they do update it. We're going to leave, that's the content we're going to leave for you guys to go through because a little bit of a dry read. Doesn't mean it's bad. There's not a whole lot of entertainment value that we have in talking about it other than going, that's yeah, pretty cool. But then give reason for you to get the book. And so to kind of roll this forward, we're going to jump to chapter two, 
which goes with forgotten sorceries, which starts with the horrors of abyss mysticism. Yeah, so I'll take this one. Um, so, obviously talking about abyss mysticism, right? And what I enjoyed about this is it doesn't just go straight into, like, uh, the, the powers and the system of magic itself. It actually takes time to uh, uh, illustrate what a um, abyss mystic is inside the Sombra clan. Uh, they fill a couple of roles, right? Like seers, um, advisors, spies, and apparently, like, secret weapons. But it also goes into detail about how in in the clan of shadows these are the boogeymen of those other boogeymen not not even other lasombra really like them or some don't even tolerate them because of the how how scared they are of these guys like um i think the blind man get it out of you <laughs> he's dying a little bit just quick cough oh god i'm sorry i don't know where <laughs> that you, came from did you live through it I, I felt like I coughed up a lung. You got attacked by Mystic. That's sweet oh. mute skill, though. I just want you to know that. Yeah. I, I had to stop breathing. All right. I'm sorry. Where the, where, where the hell was I? You were talking. You were defining what an Abyss Mystic is. An Abyss Mystic. Uh, it's terrifying. Out of, any, out of anything in this book, I think these guys are uh, the most terrifying and arguably the most powerful... Uh, because just because of what they have to deal with. Actually, I'm not even going to say the most powerful. I'm not. I think they deal with the most powerful things. I don't think they're in control of it. And this is where he opens up the debate. So, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I am. I can illustrate that, or we can just jump into the debate. Well, I want to. I'm going to hard define some things here. When they talk about abyss mysticism, where it comes from, kind of want everybody to understand what this is. This book outlines these are the people who decide to stare into the abyss and let it stare back. They don't, it's not just a philosophy, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And because of it, they're trying to coax something from the primordial darkness that we've been afraid of since the beginning. And it's something that the that Obtenebration directly allows them to connect to. It's super important because of that. And only one clan can do it. Also gives you some insight into the Sombra clan. If you've been following up to this point, there's a group called the Angelus Terror, which for a long time have been described as demonic. And in some of the writing. Others say, not really, right? They were demonic-esque in spirit, as in they chose to be free to follow their own way, but used Obtenebration as a connector uh, to their to their gateway to power. It truly was something to empower them and made them terrifying. Then, some Dark Age material that flat out said there were others who were creating black crusaded towns, black churches, where they t- defined the term as Obtenebration is what Satan gave them hmm. to directly use it. it. Made it very interesting. This book goes... And I thank them for this. That's hogwash. What an abyss mystic is, is someone who literally was told, beyond this door is eternal night. And it's literally the absence of light. And we should never poke our finger in there. We know that. Of the Lysombra clan, that's far too dangerous. Leave it alone. Only the founder got involved. And of course, because someone said don't open the door, there are those niche cult groups within the clan who said, no, we're going to. We're going to figure it out. And there are things that are in there. Now, to the debate point, though, what does everyone feel about that? I believe, Brent Tran, you were stating they're the most powerful. Or you felt they were. So I, I, I am going to clarify that. I don't actually feel they are the most powerful. I think they um, mess with and try to control some of the most powerful things, right? That's their. Um, that's certainly the most dangerous, in my mind, because uh, the, the second or third page in this 
the first several things you read about that they can summon or control are talking about how they will completely destroy you or like rot you from the inside out if you're not completely like uh, careful and diligent. And then on the next pages, they just talk about how they try to turn that towards other people. It, if they can, yeah. Right. That's I mean, sh- it's... Uh, sorry for interrupting. No, no, you're fine, Nick. Go ahead. They, they keep going over this uh, this idea that uh, the abyss is like the scariest, darkest place that you could ever be. And then whatever poor soul wrote this section in this book said that's not scary enough. Now what we're going to do is we're going to create things inside this abyss that mess with you. Things that are composed of just hands and fingers and arms and tendrils and and you know, soul-sucking parasites and vortexes and things like that. And we're just going to unleash them on anybody who's willing to run through these oubliettes, which is in-depth, thoroughly explained as the shadow mazes that they are and, and how they affect people. You put a mortal in there, they're driven mad within just a couple of days. Uh, you know, it it's a terribly powerful uh, thing that is given here, but it's only powerful... Because these guys are merely gateways. They are not in control at all. They're just brave enough to YOLO their way through this uh, this abyss <laughs> and, and, and try to discover you know, whether or not they can reap an advantage out of this. But if you fail, you fail so bad. It, that's the gambit that you're playing with these. Um, each one of these powers that gets displayed in here comes with a botch mechanism. And those botch mechanisms are just as destructive to the caster as they are to any effects that would come forward. Now, now I'm curious here, because Thomas had his game face on since this started. It was mentioned most powerful. He had kind of an aside. Thomas, hit me. So I, I find it very interesting. Uh, I love the, the La Sombra clan. I love uh, Asamite Ben-Wakim. And I really enjoy these two parts. The thing is, with La Sombra, it's always about darkness. And we... As Kindred, you are a knight, uh, a creature of the night, of the shadow, so you're already close to it, or seems to. The thing is, Oubliette is an amazing gameplay uh, mechanism, and it's explained thoroughly, it's amazing, but it, it's as potent as it's inside. All the campaigns turn around it. So, can you, uh, I don't know, have your celerity go with you when you go outside, uh, fight the Lupins? Yes, you can. Can you use your potence? Yes, you can. Presence, dominate. But the oubliette, you need everything to go to that hub to be effective. And I find it very uh, localized, very, very powerful, but limited in its use. And all the campaigns should turn around it. But it, it, the, the rest of the creatures inside is an Easter egg festival, let's be honest. And I find it amazing. But for me, the creature of the abyss, uh, of the, abyss the, the Bath of Skites, it's kind of a, you know, the the, the demogorgon from a Stranger Things, where it, it, it just tried to grab you and to yep. to, uh, to, to yep. eat you. The bizarre is an alien, deep inside you, just trying to burst and 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 devour you from the inside. The Umbri Ferocious Man is Slenderman, and the Minicious Legions are Dementors. You like, okay, it's everything <laughs> that is a, uh, that, that's terrifying put in one clan that's amazing but everything comes from this hub and that's the limitation of it and that's the beauty of it as well if you find someone as crazy as those guys that even the other last umbra said no 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 they're crazy dog nah, <laughs> don't go there they're the shadow priest 
of World of Warcraft that work, uh, worship the old gods, and if they botch things, they get insanity level so hard they can die. How fucking crazy is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. But yes, it's a little bit too powerful, but it, it, it's so restraining in one specific location that you can use it as the biggest, baddest villain you can find. And in, yeah. in, in that perspective, against it, yes, it's very powerful. As use it as players, and eh, it's a short. Wow. Hmm. One of the great things I find in here, just to jump off you and stop interrupting Bob for the last time, I, I was is let that you continue. there are things, yes, and you described them thoroughly, things that the book brings in, but I think the one great takeaway you should take away from all of that is that your imagination can also make these things. Each one of these creatures that's in here is given stats and getting and given ideas, but I've seen darker things and I've heard darker things. And you can easily, as a storyteller, pull those things in and create those creatures and denizens of the abyss that are as dark and foul as your imagination will allow you. I agree. To add to that, well, and it's funny because I, I think this is the reason why why we're so good at being able to speak to so many things at the same time is what I took away from it was reading this section alone gave me more appreciation for base clan Lasombra. I'll tell you why. One of the things is let's start off with what I, I interpret, you know, the abyss being like what is what lies behind the mirror of darkness is before there was even light, the priority of darkness was always there. It just never wasn't given anything. And now you're taking a look at what is on the other side of it. And even more so, why are Lasombra the way that they are? And this was a conversation I was having a while ago with Bob and I get to bring it to light here, which is what if that darkness, and especially when you're reflecting upon that darkness, makes you Lysambra? You are ruthless, you are ambitious, you're pragmatic because you're facing off against yourself. You are your own worst enemy. You lose your reflection because you no longer have to look back into something and you represent what it is that you are. You are a manifestation of that darkness in and of itself. On a base level, most base fan Lysambra are pretty much giving, it's like giving a monkey a machine gun. I have a tenebration. Great. You'll be able, you know, I, I could pretty much assume that if you're taking a look at it from Polonius thing, it, it's just a measure of power. It, it's his power in her voice coming out and lashing out. It's a manifestation of his will and ego made manifest. Now take a look at the other end of it, which is in the Bits Mystic, when you look so inward that there's nothing to stare back at you. And that is why you have the screaming agonies of things that exist in there. Like, and, and as Thomas was mentioning, there's so much variance in there because Let's imagine that Slenderman, right? That 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 creature, the Blatherslites that exist in there are all things that already primarily exist as horrors within it. It's just something that pops out. And I think that's why it's that much more potent, even though I think at one point we could start discussing like how the powers manifest themselves and it might be, you know, centralized on one thing. It's still horrible because it deals with the biggest thing, especially as a player, as a reader, as an audience, you. How horrible could you make it for yourself as you start reading it? How much more respect and reverence because you start giving the abyss after having read this section alone. The thing here that uh, I was mentioning is this Easter egg that, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, this Easter egg that I'm talking about is if you look at the names they give for these denizens, cracked me up more than uh, anything else because the theme they follow. The Blather site is literally gobbledygook. It's nonsense. Hmm. They, they call it a Blather site, but it literally means nothing. It's like nonsense. It's, that's the definition for it. But we look at an infantile bezoar. A bezoar is a, um, like a cyst that you give someone. It's, that's what it is. It's a cyst that grows. And that's exactly what that does. It's a curse they inflict on someone or 
small parasite that sneaks in and grows in your heart to poof, pops in your entorpor, which is its goal and point. And the most interesting creature, I think, is the, I can't even pronounce this word, the umbriferous man. <laughs> right? It's a, it's a being. Umbriferous basically means interesting. Right? That's, that's more or less what it, what it gets into. Several different ways you could use the term, but that's what it means, but nothing more. But what is this all <laughs> relating to? It's like being on the inside of a body. Right? To Thomas's point. It's, it's personalized. Also, the size and scope of an oubliette. When you get to the Menachius or whatever that is, I hope I pronounced it right, Menachius Legion, and it talks about the dark riders who never dismount, mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. Those, those are, it's a nightmare. Right? They have hounds that run forward, that, but the hounds have a smell, and they smell like urine. It's strong urine, and they're, they're not normal hounds. They have tendrils for limbs, they have a tendril head, they have a tendril body, and they're riding forward. And the more you read about it, you're like, okay, this literally is describing somebody's nightmare. Made manifest in the oubliette. And the oubliette allows them all to exist with it without ever dispelling until they're defeated. And then there's interesting things, like the umbiferous man. If you encounter it and happen to kill it, at some point, like, because typically they ask you a riddle, right? It's very Lovecraftian. It shows up swaddled in rows with these yellow eyes, and he's like, what is the reason the sky tastes like purple? And if you can't answer him, he's like, <laughs> no problem, no problem. And he disappears. And then you one night... The, the Abyss's most interesting man? Sort of. <laughs> Except the most interesting man, when you're in the real world, one day you go to sleep and you're never seen again. No matter who you are, you're just gone. Yep. Well, that that's is, how it I works. mean, uh, that's interesting. Answer that riddle, right? Well, maybe. Or if you kill him, thousands of silver pop out of him. But anyone who touches the silver disappears. Right? At some point, they're gone and the silver's collected. Now, this all radiates to one point, and, and there's a power in here I'm going to throw under the bus. Uh oh. The Angra Manu consumes Spentamanu. You mean right? bubble guts and hot snakes. Right, that's exactly what I mean. Bubble guts and hot snakes. It's well done. Now, Anger Mindy calls back to a religion that a lot of a lot of this has been deflecting. Right? Anger Mindy is supposed to be the personification of evil. The evil dragon, right? I believe it's Zerashianism where that comes from. And uh, that's what it it's what it is. It's an old religion. And they mention it here, and I love that they did, but does it mean anything? Right? Still, I'd say this whole thing is blatherskite. Right? This <laughs> wow. All of this wow. is Blatherskite, not to the bad. Wow. What it says is that the sub- we as people, as readers, we're not evil people. We're not a cult of worshipping darkness folks. But they always meant for Abyss Mystics to do that. And what the author said is, we got to guide you to it to get you to see what we have in mind for you to create the worst things, which all of you have said. And that's exactly what this is, and they guide you to do. But I'm going to throw an interesting thing under the bus. The only problem I had here, there's a specific ritual here Lord Aludian's orifices. That's just mm. a bad prenup, Bob. Mm. Yeah, I, I I clinched when when I saw it as well. Mm. Sex yep. dark portal for real? Okay. Yeah. So, like when That's I think a... of the, when I think of the abyss and the scary stuff coming for you, and we're worshiping and we're darkening in there. I'm not thinking sexual thoughts. And then along comes this guy, who's who's taught it according to the ritual. Is being a, a La Sombra that goes around, noted for using his body to kill things. And I'm thinking to myself, chops off his arm, turns into a tendril monster, wipes out everybody <laughs> in the room and moves on. What I wasn't ready for is a ritual that turns his mouth, his anus, and I guess whatever other hole that he had, orifice in his body, 
you got a belly a button. Dark, into a dark portal of the abyss. <laughs> hey, you got a belly button for those wild parties, you know, thrown by Vicos. And I sat there saying to myself, I was like, we got to, huh. Like, I almost want to contact, like, who wrote this? Like, I, I don't know where it came from. And I'm not mad, but I'm like, every theme here was kind of dark, right? The abyss knows. One of the baddest ass rituals I've ever seen written. Stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back into you. Your eyes go dark. You gain dark sight. Or you gain the, what is it, the reverse, where everything in daylight blinds you, but you can only see in the dark type thing. And I'm like, cool, that's awesome. That works. But when you get to that one, and that's the level four, you're like, well, well what's the next one? Do I got to, if I sell myself for a decent price at the sailor's auction, do I then gain another advanced form of obtenebration? I don't know where this ends. And that's, that's the only throw in it. Some people will like it. I'm curious. If you read this and you've used it in a game, and you've used it to good effect, to an outcome, my imagination was stumped in how I would use this. Because the abyss mysticism doesn't recognize sex as an orientation one way or the other. Therefore, it's literally, if you're an abyss mystic, you're a terrifying being. That's, that's where it stops, right? But when we get to that, it's like, okay, I guess the abyss mystic has a tool of a basic need like everybody else right. like everybody else <laughs> I, i've got a question about that though wouldn't that only wouldn't that trick only work a couple of times before someone got a reputation as being a black widow you'd have to be alive yeah, yeah but people will notice if people start dropping when they go into the bedroom with that dude you ever wondered how many lovers lucida's killed and everybody went that's lucida uh, no, right. I, I haven't right. actually. <laughs> I, I have. I have. I said she's a popular girl. Everybody Mankata knows her. Mankata has. You know, she's yeah. got a feed. <laughs> you know, if you're around Lucided, she's like, hey, come with me to Aragon. You will be my king for the night. And you're like, this is pretty happening. I fly in the Learjet. I get there. Do not do anything to disrupt your blood. I don't know what that means. But I'm going to have a good time with this cool ass Italian chick. It's going to be great. I am not Italian. Yeah, whatever. Spanish, Italian, you know, whatever. It's European. <laughs> And you get over there, and of course she eats you, and you die. They gotta hide your body. What's the difference? See, you're talking about vampiric. If you read this, it doesn't make that distinction. It's talking about the fact that whoever, just to get into it, whoever locks, whoever performs the beast with two backs, one of you is devoured by the abyss completely. And it counts as a complete exsanguination or death of the victim. And so whenever I hear that, I think mortal. Yep. That's where I think of. Because it doesn't say one way or the other, but that's mortal, lupine, anything living. If it's a vampire, I think you notice probably at the fifth round where you're like, this is kind of fun, but I'm feeling a little woozy. Uh, the, <laughs> my favorite part was that it has you roll like a wits or uh, perception alertness to determine like whether or not you notice you're being drained dry of blood. <laughs> it's like, how enraptured in this do you need to be? <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, but the majority of these are cool. The majority of these are good. They're fun read to get through to kind of go through those mechanics and follow a theme. Um, does uh, anyone else, does anyone have a favorite? I pointed out the fun one where I was like, eh. But did anybody have one who was like, oh man, that was awesome? I really like the Incorrigitant Vortex. Uh, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And I saw the Time Scar uh, with Matt Smith in it where you, uh, everything can swirl you in and you you can invoke this vortex at the higher level just to reap savok into a castle i think i find it very cool but i have this impression that we're giving to storytellers material to create the dark villain uh, that has a big castle that is a lord or 
she is a lord and she just you know creates that oubliette and can do whatever she is she, she wants she's so terrifying everyone would just comply uh, I, I would see characters going against that kind of character and uh, and that villain would be horrific I, I see an horror campaign to survive the the, the throw of the darkness of that uh, La Sombra for sure but do you think that you, you you could be playing with other people with that level of darkness yes uh, yes and here's here's how often it's up to the player to make this make sense to the storyline and mm. what this is we both read the you're my ST come to you want to play in a business and you say hey this seems off the res but you're day in court what am I dealing with and I tell you I have these diaries of a sire who when they made me taught me all about Clan La Sombra and the ins and outs. The only person I had to avoid was the Amiki Noctis. That that was bad news. And I still haven't found a member of that, but I'm doing well in Clan. But my sire disappeared, and the only letter I have is from a servant describing how they couldn't get him to come out of the, the dungeon. He consigned himself to his own dungeon. They're terrified to go down there. I'm, I'm wondering why. I don't know what's going on. Mm. And all I have is this letter. And the ST hopefully goes, I'm convinced. So you, do, you don't start as an abyss mystic, is what I just said, but we're aware of where this can go. But then I'm agreeing to a story being told on my behalf of how far I want to go into. And the storyteller gets to mold whether I become this evil or whether I'm trying to just save someone from what they stepped into and bring them out of True. it. And you can mold that. But beyond that, mm, I, I agree with you. This, this is a bag of tricks that it's a very dangerous box to open. And just, just throw it at anybody. And if you're not experienced, it's going to be very hard uh, to get them to go any different direction than, like you said, let's just vortex everybody and call it a day. <laughs> but that's a bit of mysticism. Please check it out. When we turn it over to SMI Sorcery, Thomas, I believe you were going to tell me all about the new sorcery. Oh, yes. I love that part, like uh, any other part of, uh, of the book. Um, I have a special bond with uh, with the Asamite uh, clan uh, that was one of the most uh, played NPC uh, PC I had, like maybe, I don't know, 200 or 300 hours. And I, I we always saw the, uh, my storyteller, myself, and any other uh, players that we've played with uh, Asamite as isolated agents, um, you know, assassin, uh, spy, um, diplomats. So it's always one Asamite surrounded by other people and they all look at him with fear uh, and, and dread uh, because they know how dangerous that uh, noble soul can rip your thing without you even realizing. But now it, that part, uh, especially the one that talks about Alamut, um, gives a, a, a thorough explanation of the Asamite clan, the politic, the environment of Alamut, and the operation of the cloth through their caste, so vizier, sorcerer, and warrior, and how everything makes sense, and how they're protected. Uh, there is one particular text where the, uh, it said, the city flourishes from within the mountain range itself, taking advantage of natural fissure and cavern carved by the weathering process. Construction weave in and out of this natural formation 
almost seamlessly and the result is a city providing absolute protection from sunlight. Can you see it? You can see a mountain uh, surrounded by uh, kindred that have uh, a communal blood of pool, uh, a pool of blood, uh, and they're all going in the same direction. Yes, they're divided. They, they, there is different caste, but they are all in together. And I find it very fascinating to see how this one clan that you usually play as a solo agent, as a whole organization. There is um, this ritual that can force people when they're needed to come back to it in kind of a presence number uh, invocation trance, but much deeper where everything else is blurred. Um, they are able to, to explain you how the Watchtower network uh, veil everything around so no intruder comes. You know what Alumut looks like. You know they control the surrounding. It's bare. It's a desert. No one goes here. It's like going to Hogwarts and everyone pulled some uh, anti uh, moldy uh, thing. You cannot go there by mistake. You will not go. And if you try to follow one, you'll be killed on spot. This is a perfect setting to play a siege um, uh, campaign because there is these powers that are more and more amazing where you're, you remember that you are uh, very stealthy with obfuscate. You're very deadly with uh, but and you're very fast with celerity, but all the powers of the sorcerers are about how to protect Alamut. It's how to see the prophecy of things that could happen to an elder. That's how you can see through every single uh, Asamite distance from 100 kilometer around the sorcerer. You can see and hear through the eyes of every Banu Akim. How crazy is that? You can see the fate of one. You can um, uh, put all your blood into that communal pool to give additional dice to defend Alamut. Uh, you can protect your mind from, uh, from invasion, presence, dominate. Um, you can contact anyone. You can protect yourself from jabbery. This is the perfect setting to have, um, uh, for example, the Tremere, uh, the Tremere coming into Alamut to, to, to cast a spell, to resist it, how to... Uh, in the middle, uh, after the long night, how to protect Alamut, how to deal with the fourth crusade. You are inside the nest of the most ruthless and effective assassin kindred. And now you, you understand where it's at, how they operate, how the different cast can go against each other. It's, it's wonderful. It, it, it's, it was one of the most amazing re uh, read I had in, in supplements. For, for a very long time. Now, I will tell you, there's a lot of, the structure's good. I'll give points to that. The structure's good that they have up there. They counter too much of what they were. Uh, to me, they neutered who they were. I was reading Mighty Morphin Power Isomites is what I was reading. And I'll explain why. <laughs> I'll explain why. The ritual of return ruined the 14 years of training that the Asimites originally went through. Sure. One, of the, one of the baddest reads I've ever had was that I, I fell in love with this clan is when they said, a sire cares so much that they first watch a mortal and make certain they're worthy of the blood. And when they're certain, mm, they ghoul yeah. them for seven years. And at seven years is that ghoul, they train them, preparing them to make the journey to Alamut. And then they take them to Alamut. And where they're there, they release them into the program where they still have to prove themselves, and they become Fidai, right? The faithful. Yep. Once that's done, then Alamut trains them another seven years into being, and that's all Asamites. 
You're training another seven years, and then they dictate what cast needs you, where you go with. And that's when they got into the Web of Knives, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Thetmus is one of the one of the best NPCs I've read. I'm a super yes. fan. And I like how he's countered by uh, Fatima, because uh, Fatima has the faith uh, of Islam to go against her own sire, but her sire lets her have her faith. And, and it shows you why the factions in the clan exist and are permitted, because Hakim permits it. But Urshul Gee doesn't agree with it. And yes. so all that was honored. But he's a Bali. Let, let, let's talk about it. Of course he's a Bali. <laughs> he has burned eyes. He came at the right moment. Come on. He's not. He's not. He's not. I love him. Uh, but look, I, I, I agree with you, Bob. But it also states inside. And we're not, we're not lawyers. We're not going to play with those words. But it's also um, implicit that they can use that trans because they need one specific person at one specific moment to say, we need you right now. The rest doesn't matter. You need to come back to the nest. You need to come to the, to the eagle nest. And it also impl- uh, implies that some very specific situation could be saved from someone that just be turned as a to come because maybe the sire just get killed. Maybe because sure. something went wrong. And it's it just a way, I think it's a hook for people to become an Asama, uh, Asama in, in, not in the usual way and just be dragged by the storyteller to Alamut because yeah. he has no other way. And then he can discover it. And I think that's the, the, the perfect way to give the love of the Asamite and the Alamut to new players. And I saw it that way. But I agree with you on, on that part, yes. And to the thing, what I'm talking about, that ritual of return, it eliminates the important thing about a fanatic or, or one who is disciplined. It eliminates the need for you to have ownership of it. Because now it's a power that forces you and guides you to element. You don't got a choice. That's my only problem with it. Before you wanted to be. You were testing to be. You were proving to be. And you went there because you knew that's what you wanted to be. Now there's a ritual where three people meet. Right? Thomas is the warrior. I'm the vizier. Uh, DJ's the sorcerer. And Thomas shows up that night after the club. He goes, hey guys, I found Nick. Cool guy. Great guy. He's got this retainer burn trying to think it'd be really good for the clan. What do you think? Let's talk to him. And DJ's like, I don't know. I don't know. How good are you with the Ouija board? You know? <laughs> and they started asking. He's like, hey, can you can you talk much? Oh, yeah. I talk all the time. Ah, it's probably bad for a warrior. I don't know. Tom's like, no, no, no. We beat up a bouncer before we came here. He's a real bad guy. Well, how do you know he was bad? Ah, he was taken at the door. He tried to slip a roofie in someone's drink. Yeah, he took him out in three seconds. It was great. And it's like, oh, that's your justification? Like, yeah, all right. I guess. Let's. Uh, and then Thomas bites him in the neck, drains him down. And we <laughs> gives him some blood. But before he wakes up, writes on a piece of parchment everybody's name who says he's good, like a letter to take to the principal, and slaps the papyrus piece. They just stick it on the side of his, of his face like a postage stamp, <laughs> and then like, give him Hakim's mighty booty call, and so he finds his way to hell. Right? He wakes up and goes. And I was like, okay, I, I get that, and I agree with you 100%. This is the new system to quickly get people to catch on yeah. to what they were trying to do. Yeah. I'm not taking away from it other than to say, I'm that guy who did the homework that fell in love with them previously that comes up here and I said, hmm, I got an eye. And my number two issue, the endless blood pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't How like do endless they... blood? It's a Bali trick. That's what we're going to do again. <laughs> he ain't letting that go. He ain't letting that go. I was, uh, I was skeptical about the keepers. Like at the beginning of this, I was kind of like keepers. Ah, oh, they all just sit around. Ah, oh, they read the waves in the pool. Ah, oh. but uh, it's Asimite Baywatch. <laughs> reading through it, uh, <laughs> there's uh, there's cool things in there, and there, there's definitely cool hooks that can be put in there. 
there's definitely things that bind them there, but they're not completely bound there forever, uh, which makes them Complex. difficult to be playable, but well, possible. You're not playing them unless you have that siege scenario Thomas was talking about. That's yep. why I'm glad yeah. you pitched that. Because if we're playing a game in Element, this is where you do it. Yeah. And that's what it is. I've played several games in Element where I was like, hmm, I didn't think about that. And if I had an endless pool, by the way, why this pool is cool. And when you read about it, it's because it contains Hakim's blood. Still, it contains the blood of every Asimite that ever was made. Yep. That's why this pool is cool. This pool is cool because when they recovered the heart's blood, that ritual was sacrosanct from back in the day. Kill an mm -hmm. Asimite in the field, an Asimite collects them. You were meant to feel that you were all on the field as a warrior, but the Asimites in Revised, they point out you come in threes. There's a sorcerer, a vizier, and a warrior. And you may not see the sorcerer and vizier, but that warrior is walking around because it's their job to judge. That's what their job is to do. In here, they're like, you know what? Too much stress. Thomas has been in the field. He's already got to kill people. Why leave it just up to him? That beats a lot of stress. I don't know. If only we had a council of fantastic people that could look into the swirling pool of blood and look in on every single prince in existence, and they only state princes. I don't know why, only princes, but states princes in the War of Princes. And they go, hey, I was reading the blood earlier, and I just want you to know, as a, as Baywatch, as I am asking my Hasselhoff, I think we should do this guy in. I think the Prince of Brussels is done. It's like, why? Sooner or later, he's going to commit Diablo and the wrong people. He's going to do a lot of bad stuff to people. And and they're like, "That's you just read that? Yeah, I guess it's so. All right, Thomas, kill him. And Thomas gets where do you Of course, of course I will. I, I followed the order of the nest. It, it, it looks like one, the, the, the movie Wanted, where <laughs> there is a, a prophecy that you need to kill that guy because mm. he's going to turn bad. Yes, it's cheesy a little bit, but imagine that we're playing three or four Asamite in a campaign and Bobby's a storyteller. I'd love to, 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 to bicker about the role of the vizier, the power of the sorcerer, and my role as a warrior as what I need to do. That's a self-contained uh, campaign that I would love to have, for sure. And there is some give or take, of course, but the, 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 the ritual of making uh, people come back, yes, it's optional and you don't have to use it. Or maybe a first time to see it's here. Don't fuck it up. If you leave, we're gonna use it against you. That's there, the kind of that's the way I, I say that they're just tools. You don't have to use them all. Now, yeah, I, I'm saying use them all. That's gonna yep. shock you. You just made fun. Of, I did. I clowned on him because you can't have the past mixed with the present. I'm gonna tell you that now, and I mean rules. Mm -hmm. This right here, if you try to mend that hardcore element back in the day with what you have now, you lose the edge because I think this is a very humane element they have here. This is very much the heroic, faithful warriors defending the mortals, is what you have here. A good enemy for the Bali. A, a lot better because, as you said, Urshul Gi. But I enjoy the fact that old Suge Knight sits on the throne, waiting to bring whatever he said. He said, when Hakim gets back, we'll see who's right. Because you have Thetmus and Alishrod going, we're talking. Thetmus is going to hang out and keep an eye on Urshul Gi. I'm going to go abroad and see if I can find Hakim. What do you mean? We all talk to him. And we'd be like, hey, uh, Hakeem, eh? Shuggy, did you embrace him? Because he sure did save us, and we're just curious. 
You know, because if you didn't embrace an Amala Shroud that makes me a Bali too, eh? Like, eh? You know? So that's a cool story, but this is like, put that to the side, take that weight off the players. Let's have a better group, concentrated rolling forward. With a lot of people, let's face it, that sit down at the table, need that guidance. And if they're not a vet, and plus a storyteller can't always drag them forward, you're absolutely right. You, you need the kind of my joke calling them Morphin Power Rangers, just humor. Ultimately, it's streamlined at this point with a, with a good visual of what you have for it. Uh, any counters or ideas here, guys? DJ. So one of the things that I got from this especially is like, even though this segment is labeled Astomite Sorcery, it really is more about the culture, more about the sorcerer culture in there, right? And especially when they're yeah. talking about the Keepers. Having the Keepers there, even if you were to have them as, as PCs, granted, you know, there are things in there that give you a way out, such as having that flask just so you have some sippy juice just to make it out at least 10 feet away from Allenwood should, for whatever reason, a keeper need to move out. But um, the fact is that it gives you that culture of sorcerers in general, why they are important to Clan Asimite. We and Even in the base B20, or rather the uh, DA20 book, uh, it starts off with the Viziers being the primary one because they want you to be sociable and give that, that aspect that it, everyone's not a warrior. But why play a sorcerer then? You play the sorcerer because you're so tied into what you are. You are part of the clan. Even being so close to the heart's blood, next to that power source, being able to have that integral thing where they need you as well was really big, 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 big takeaway for me. And I do agree as well uh, with Bob that it, it is streamlined to a certain degree. The way I, I would take it as well is like, let's look at it as a slice of life at the Asimites or the children of Akeem as of this moment in time. You know, and and that's the the way the story is going to go. At least in my head, that's that's how I'm viewing it. Like this is the way Alamut is at the current moment. Let's not forget though, DJ. I think uh, Thomas uh, it just reminded me of that point. Remember the keepers of the pool, which is what you're talking about. Those yep. are sacred selected sorcerers. Yeah, yep. yep. Those are not by far all sorcerers. Oh, definitely not. Right, they we are gotta, not. We gotta we gotta hammer that home because the thing you gotta look at the section does go into sorcery, but they they fill you up with what Alamut's about in the culture. So when you take the turn and you read about the keepers' way path, that's there. They don't throw out the previous sorcery that's been made. Mm-hmm. Right? This book assumes you're a fan. And you've done read about all the other stuff. That's the thing I've caught. There's a lot of people that go, Dark Ages 20 is weird. It's got all this stuff. Did you read? Where, like the 20th is an update to everything the fans know and love. you got to know that. So yep, if you're yep. reading that for the first time and didn't read the other stuff, let me guide you to the other stuff. And then let's ask the questions after we tie them up there. That's the thing to hammer home. And do remember, a sorcerer's point in Alamut is to back up a warrior in the field for what they find, and their rituals allow them, just like Thomas said, yeah, I can be at Alamut, and you can be in New York, and you're about to go to court. There should be a vizier already there, sifting through, doing what a vizier does, using knowledge to educate the Asimites, or the, well, the, all the Asimites, in fact, about the modern, to keep the clan updated, so they don't lose that advantage. That's number one, they're a teacher. Number two, in their social function, it's to go to these places to help the warrior make a better selection as a judge. So if he comes and talks to that Torador, who's being real shady, and there's a lot of disappearing bodies or whatever, he's not there to investigate. He's there to tell the warrior there might be something here. But be aware. Obscure information. Here's 12 books to look up to learn this stuff, and you're looking for this weird symbol. If you find it, let me know. Mm-hmm. What that sorcerer is there to do is while the warrior's in the field, and going to look in this alleged Torador's haven. And he's like, I find a bunch of bodies stacked up. What is this? We trained you as a warrior. Someone to go and get the job done. We didn't train you to be a mystic. Well, now you take a pebble. That pebble has gone through a specific ritual. Inside of a goat's stomach sacrificed to Hakim himself, purified in your blood. 
and you place in your mouth. That sorcerer feels an inkling of a connection, and he lets you know that he's available. I, he's listening. And he's an element. And now he sees through your eyes what you're seeing. And then he tells you to reach out and stick your hand in the blood. And you do so. And he casts another power. And he does another ritual. And he's giving you information and telling you what's going on. Then he has to cast a spell to protect you and tells you to get out or tells you to go. This is very much... It's super cool. It's simply a badass clan. And this book doesn't take away from that at all. In fact, the rituals here, I've played with. Broken. So broken. I I thought, this is why I miss Mike not being here. Because I (laughs) wanted to run through these rituals. Like, it's it's madness. Poor Bruntron fell fell victim. I told him about it, played a sorcerer in the game, and with another player. And the player's like, I'm a warrior, I'm kind of bored. I bring that sorcerer appeal. He was very very upset in the dark ages. I sat in a cart the whole time. And every time he saw me, I was leaning back in nice furs. I was drinking the best blood. I was chilling. And he's like, you know there's lupines out here? Are you going to help? Ah, lupines. And I cast out a silver dagger. You'll be fine. Really? Yeah, just sprinkle some of this on it. When we hear them coming, we'll leave. I can't hear them coming that far away. You can. Just put the rock in your mouth. We'll be in touch. And so as he's doing it, the entire time, the player's like, I... Sure, I put the rock in my mouth. And then Brentran's like, you hear the howl in the distance. How did he know that? But the player never was clued in. Mm. That's the, and that's the relationship. If you have someone who knows about being a warrior and read that and fell in love with it, don't tell them all about a sorcerer. But have that sorcerer there to give them that kind of weird appeal. I thought of Conan the Barbarian with that character. You remember that? Conan's sorcerer buddy? Really? Walking around I... wearing the turtle armor but was able to fight demons <laughs> and, and keep them from taking his soul? That's what the sorcerer's all about. I'm here to handle that stuff you can't. It's that simple. But... When the bullying comes, you're there to protect me because I don't want to get my ass kicked out on the game. Help <laughs> me out. Right? They're you coming for me. had a uh, Luke Skywalker and Yoda situation going yes. on in that game. But it was one power in particular. I believe it's called the Gift of Hakim. I couldn't believe it. Oh, it's, uh, the Strength yeah, of Hakim. Strength of, yeah, strength of yep. Hakim. Yes. Put sand in your whammies. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's, all the sorcerer has to do is go, hey, wait a second, warrior. Go back, go back to that guy. It's like, well, I know you're here for the gangrel, but... Did you not see the, that dude's low on humanity? Like, he is off the chain. He has a human head under his cloak. Did you see that? Hey, let me see what's under that cloak. And an initiative happens. It's like, oh, oh man, he's someone to judge. Because I said that, I, my ritual kicks into effect and I roll the successes. Each success gives him additional dot to stamina or dexterity. Whatever pool he's using defensively to handle that against that or mental assaults. And I was like... Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's where that comes from. Now, why is it they come in three, and that's the important part, and this does a good job too, and Thomas did touch on that. You only ever hear of one type of Asamite throughout the whole thing of the warrior. This is why. Vizier's hidden, Sorcerer's hidden. You only see the mm-hmm. effects of the warrior. You only see how mm-hmm. good they are. And it gives the impression that the Asamites are just not stoppable. They're just, there's, these assassins are going to keep coming and coming and coming. But that's why. Sorry, Nick, you had your hand up. Not gush. Oh no no! I was uh, I was thinking about something different. You're thinking of I think strength and wisdom, like when your boys yeah. got your back, they get judged. You pass on that. Not only is that additional dice, sir, it's also reduced difficulty. It's madness. Yeah, it's absolute madness. Oh, I know, I know it is. <laughs> and then there's like one that protects from diablery too. Not not just protects. Like it's the gotcha. It's the Cambro gotcha they always wanted. When they walk out with their trench coat, they got their ninja sword, and somebody finally gets them, right? Somebody finally rips the arm off, and they're like, my katana, oh no. And then they grab a hold of him, bite him in the neck, only to see that guy fall into torpor. Gotcha. 
<laughs> you said fall in the torpor. Uh, when I read it, as it says, what they were doing to you happens to them. They yeah, drain your so, last drop, you consume them instead. And that's when I said... Oh, I don't think, it's, I don't think uh, it goes as far uh, all the way to Diablo, uh, does it? Read it. Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. Oh, my God. I thought it was just I thought it was just empty of them in the blood, and then it's over. It's considered this, auto. This isn't even my final form. That's what it is. <laughs> that's madness. <laughs> not many times. This is even our final form. <laughs> Uh, Nick, you were close to taking uh, Mike's Cambro card from him. You were close. Uh, not, no, I don't want it. But I'm convinced, after hearing Thomas, I've tempered a bit. There's some stuff here where I, I like that. You help me mend the past with the future. Because I first went this, I was like, I'm so unhappy. I said, ah, wait a minute, you're right. I do know. I feel Urshul Giza Bali too. So that's uh, that makes everything there. It warms my heart. Thank you, Thomas, for that. We're gonna... I, I, I'm glad I was able to put some uh, some wine into your water. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, rolling forward, though, the secrets of Kuldaning sorcery, or what I like to call it, arguments we will have after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Believe Nick, you were jumping on this. Oh no, I was jumping on the necromancy. Oh, I did throw in the bus. Well, then I guess I'll go. This is fineless DJ sorcery, different thing. All right. So, what we have here in Secrets of Condonic Sorcery, and I, I guess I thought I didn't have to do this. It's probably because I know where this is going. All right. Previous podcast, like literally the last one, I'm, I'm almost certain, or the it one was. before, I should say. We were talking about Condonic Sorcery and the differences. There's Cranion, and there's the Advanced Elemental, and whatnot, and it wasn't all bad. Well, this book slapped me in the mouth. I said, yes, it is. I was like, wait a second. What? But the Cranion is different than the Elemental. I'm like, listen here, buddy. We're breaking the mold. We've done changes. So here's a couple changes they threw in. Number one, you have Rustovich, the Voivode of Voivodes, turned around and said, hey, we're getting our asses kicked out here because we're fighting each other while we're getting raided. That's done. I need all you called in to form Voltron and let's defend the universe. Come with me on this. Yep. And the Colding said, uh, I guess, because I'm tired of the Tremere raiding over here with gargoyles and that's just, they're really good with gargoyles. We really got to stop that. Like, all right, we'll do it. But then, something in the blood, something in the earth specifically, and it's the demonic taint on their Koldun, tells them that when one casts Koldun that they don't have, there's a near frenzy to obtain that power any way they can have it. And this is why they've been warring. That's the reason. There's something in the soil making them do it. Great. And I said, yes, definite mm-hmm. And I said, that's so cool. And I hate you that this is the first time I'm seeing it now. <laughs> well, right? Correct because... me if I'm wrong, Bob, but didn't uh, didn't the entire Omen War start because the Kaldunes sensed something going on with the Tremere they didn't like? There was a prophecy passed down? Uh, they did a lot of prophecy, though. There's several books where they were like, oh, we saw this coming, and blah, blah, blah. It's, yes, you're not wrong, but, I, but I'm saying that this specifically was like, let's shed some truth. Let's get something nailed down. Before we were all up in the air about what it could be. Now let's point it out. There's not one demon in the soil. It's not just Kapala. There's several. Yeah. Yes. First and foremost. Okay, it wasn't just me. And it's and it's tainting the soil is what it's pointing out, that it's possible all the warring, all the canites, all the, you came to eliminate paganism and religious persecutions happening, and but they're rebelling. All this chaos is completely corrupting the land. And so what was once pure, which Colden was, is now losing the battle. However... Thank you for losing that battle. Because there's so much cool shit that came out of it. 
And in reading this, and it really is, I will sacrifice anything if it comes cool. But it, Worth it. <laughs> so in here, though, what are we talking about? We talked about the rivalry of Khaldun, but then they formed the Many-Headed Seekers, which makes this incredibly interesting. This means there's Khaldun who said, okay, we know we're going to be rivals, but let's talk Turkey. We're willing to see what's going on to help battle this here and there, but we're going to pull all the mystics in. Everyone willing to ally with Rustovich will come to us. We will talk to him, and we will talk to these elementalists specifically. Even witches were seeking through Lithuania and the pagan territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're preserving what they have to ask what has happened with you to find what is going on to better counter it, or if we cannot change it, to best use it for us. Now, they didn't tell that part to old Rustovich, which is what I enjoy. That was the part they left off the table because they turned around and said, You do this, we will teach you Krynia, which is the secret of the Kolden. And I was like, that's well-written. I can't even... All right, let's get to the powers. That's exactly what I did. Like, leave it alone. Yep. There's a solution. So all Kuldun is tainted. There is no pure and there is no bad because they update it and say, look, it's just easier to tell you what it is. It's a losing battle. Call the day. And, that, and that's that. Now, but Bob, what about the elemental pass? Forget them. And I'm going to tell you why. They break sorcery here. Typically up to this point, thaumaturgy, any thaumaturgy, sorcery was thrown under it, is working the same. You have every level of a path gets you a level of a ritual. Because you got to study the ritual before you get the path and call it kismet. This book tells you not the Kuldanic sorcery, it's the exception to the rule. Now, you have to have some working knowledge of Kuldanic sorcery. What I mean by you have to have it, when you're initiated, without you having to study, the, the land blesses you that you get buried in with the crania selected by your mentor. And that's your first level. It's forced upon you. From that point forward, you can either research the rituals. And just rituals all day. Doesn't matter the level to take you the time. Work that out with your SD. What's going to happen with that? But you can learn them or follow in the path. And that's it. Why it's important is because it's not balanced. <laughs> no. It's, it is not balanced. No. I was asked uh, quite a bit. Hey, Bob, if you look at the books, Toma Secrets, the updated uh, DA20, there's not many crania. And it's, it seems unfair because when you look at it through the thaumaturgical understanding we have, if I get a level one ritual, I can only get a ritual from the Karnia I know. No, it's not accurate. It's saying the ritual is readily available to learn through your Karnia. That's what they cite. Or you would have to go to that region to learn it or find someone who knows of it to know it. But if I want to learn a level three Transylvania Karnia, but what I'm on is a Baloeska Karnia. And that's the, uh, for those of you who are familiar with our review um, of Werewolf uh, Heart of the Forest, Bioeska is the forest they choose. That is the primordial forest in Poland. I thought it sounded familiar. And it's and it's awesome. I read this and was smiling because I was like, mm-hmm. had I done that beforehand? Because See? I thought they pulled it out of a hat. And they very well might have. And I hope they hear this yep. and go, all that's really cool was already used because we agree. Right? It tells you how huge it is, though. Uh, that forest is how badass. But the way they paint the picture of that forest where this, this uh, Krenia comes from, there were Cold Dune existing in it, warring. With everything else throughout it, defending it. What was even cooler is when they mentioned that they had the uh, the Lianen. They yeah. were in here teaching and rituals, helping yeah. them defend the forest. And I was super excited about it. Why? It gives reason why the Lianen could have survived in the modern. Right? Mm. The Bialoesco forest is still around to this day. And that could be there. They even go a step further. They beautifully wrote in, because uh, the Bialoesco forest, why it's, uh, it's so important, is that there was a tower in there that defended a point in the region. It was like the White Tower. Yep. Well, in here, they had that World of Darkness spin. That white tower is actually from a Kuldun who mastered the Krynia. 
and it's the demons of the earth built him a tower of bone to exist out of that they could collapse and reform where he chose, which adds to mysticism way better than Baba Yaga, right? Baba Yaga's cool with your chicken hut and all, but I was like, what's more terrifying? <laughs> I go to a forest and I see this pagan chick who tells me, you're an outsider, you have one night to leave, or you're dead. And then she fades into a tree. That's mm-hmm. creepy, right? But then what happens? I didn't leave. And so the Lord shows up, but first the Tower of Bones built at dusk out of nothing. This is Crania. That's power. That's that. That's elemental. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Unless you guys get a dig at it, but I, after I gush over one power, I have a player who for years has been obsessed with all things Colvin, loves the Zemis, mystic aspect. And she always took Way of the Wind. No. Oh. That was like her first love and she adored it. Using the wind to go from point A to point B, to animate her speed, everything else. And I thought to myself, that's a little limiting. I mean, it's cool, but there's so much you can do until she was able to go across using movement, chop off someone's head in a big war that was an important guy before the war even started. And then came back with his head and said, Zemis ruled these lands and rolled it. And I was like, that's cool, but maybe that's just me doing it in my game, but I like that story. That's awesome. To read the authors synergized that belief that I had and said, there's a ritual in here. <laughs> oh, man. Because, uh, number one, the rituals you perform here are incredibly bloody. The crying here are permanent, the rituals are, until you dispel it or there's a specific thing that occurs to get rid of them. Yeah. The one I'm talking about allows you to bend or was a bond with the air of the territory you have. And so picture that battlefield. You're up on high. Your lord goes to march into battle. You're standing back. They're all fighting. Here's the Tremir Enclave that's off to the right. Their lord's there, and he's just directing magic and launching it. And totally unaware of you. But there's a windstorm. Who knows why? Maybe there is a storm coming in, and the Tremir might have summoned it to throw lightning around. You bond with the air and instantly are behind them and get a free ambush automatic attack Yep. on that lord. And I sat there and said to myself, the visual of it is more important than the effect. Mm. Right, you turn into the air, gush over there, and are just, boom, considered a natural effect. Who's going to see you? Right? I love that. And it's things like that that are built through here. They give several rituals on that show you how, how important it is. Difficulty of the ritual, though, to learn them. It's not just XP and I have it. You have to set up the right. You have to make the difficulty for it. And they talk that difficulty is paid in blood. There are people you have to bring to lower the difficulty. You have to murder them. And they have to be willing. And I love that. Basically, it says, it's cool you want to learn the ritual, but now you got to tell me how you're building it up and plan a right. That's what they're tricking you into. They're forcing you to plan a ritual, why it's going to work. Does this mean that much to you? Player, are you ready to go hard and actually be this pagan evil of the land that uh, you're going to have to do in order to get what you're looking for? And I thought that was neat. What'd you guys think? I thought it was really cool. Um, in particular, just like you were talking about with the uh, Bailowiska or whatever, the Polish the Polish forest of, of names that's too hard for my American mouth to, to form. Um, I, 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 I was super excited that that was in here as well, the same way that you were. Uh, just the way that they even talked about it, this forest that's too thick and uh, impossible to pass with the people that are not familiar with the, these ancient growth forests. And then in it, like the, the crania they give you is just manipulating the, the trees around so that you could herd people around like in Fangorn Forest in Lord of the Rings, or you just, you know, like poison ivy spring up and grab them and uh, it, 
you know, do all kinds of unseemly things to him. It's a, if there was a a campaign that was going anywhere near a force like this, there's 100%, 100% possibility that I am throwing um, one of these uh, people in here that, that has mastery over these crania because the effects are just too cool to leave off to the side. You just can't possibly. It's 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 a wasted opportunity that's shameable if you don't do it. Poor players. If they have to fight up, poor players. <laughs> well, they don't have to fight it. They just have to deal with it. Right? <laughs> and by deal, how many how many goats you have? <laughs> oh. Did you guys uh, did you guys see the the cool one in there with the uh, where the person just like pops down on the ground and drinks all the dead bodies that are in yeah, the ground? Yeah, the grave. Oh, yes. the I drink your milkshake power. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> drink your milkshake. Uh, it's too good. That, that was crazy to see how um, they, they were able to spin a dark druidisms um, with a, a, teen, a taint of uh, demon worshipping uh, heritage uh, because they, they're called the fiends for a reason. They're very, very cruel, but they're also so. very, you know, intelligent. So it, it's always nice to see a depth to uh, to uh, Timmy's clan. Um, the barrel of truth, uh, <laughs> when if you don't speak the truth, you, you get boiled, um, is, is something that is a torture device. But the one I really like is one of the last ritual where uh, you can walk on water. So uh, it, it's official, Jesus was a Timmy's confirmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I'll agree with Thomas there because the, what I took away from it and what caught my eye the most um, is the story seeds that you get out of this. As Bob has mentioned earlier, the Coldonic rivalry that exists and there being a mechanic for it only makes me think like one thing: Eastern Europe is a trailer park of petty ass demons. Because all it is, is like, if you have so many demons outside of Kapala that are in the land and everyone's pulling on these demons and all it is, is every single time you pull on these powers and that you're, you're embracing yourself and making that pact, so to speak, advertently or inadvertently, it, it's just, you could see where people are starting to tear each other apart. You could see where there's just natural rivalries between each other because power does not share power. And add to the fact that this already exists, you being a vampire in the first place and predators don't want to be in the same location, it, it only builds that much more mystery for people that are coming into the Eastern Europe block or people that are walking into um, Coldonic domains, right? What do you look like to an out? What do you look like as an outsider coming into it? And even more so than that, it, it kind of, once again, also breeds the, well, now I'm interested. And all you have to do is just get a taste of it. And once that taste starts to grow, that's your story seed of just how much more corrupting it is and how many of your peers may or may not exist after the story's done. I think they opened the floodgates on this one, unfortunately, because just like you're talking about, they, they gave more examples of different crania uh, for different areas. And essentially what it gives you the possibility of doing as a storyteller is finding a crania for pretty much any region that you would find your players in. If you wanted to make an Australian outback one where everybody just like uh, runs out of water and, you know, like throws boomerangs around or, or whatever they would do. Um, but like a winter one, like a tundra area, mountains, deserts, all kinds of cool stuff is on the table because we know that an earthbound can be earthbound pretty much anywhere. And as long as that negotiation happens 
and those folklore tales are integrated into it, which is a very important part uh, to add that special flavor and spice to it. it. It opens up your toolbox as a storyteller to to kind of look at things entirely differently. I concur. And I will have to say, I already know what's coming. I already know part of the argument is going to be. But do they tell you what Colden means? I, you, you can actually internet look that up. It's a, it's a nice rite of cleansing. It's, a, it's actually harmless <laughs> when you look it up. However, I said it before, I'll restate it now. Um, the Zemis book revised tells you what Kuldun is. All it is is a Zemis who practices sorcery. That's what a Kuldun is. It doesn't mean they can't have vicissitude. In fact, you typically have both uh, to get that title. The, the whole point is that's you're not limited, right? The whole point of this was to open it up from the limitations it had before, right? Because you weren't supposed to have thaumaturgy. They said that, and they kind of pigeonholed you into elemental magic and then said, use thaumaturgy rituals to get by. This fixes all that. That's the important aspect of this. Focus on that and open your imagination a bit with what they leave you here in ritual description, which is on point. I think Thomas said it best. You know, they combine uh, pagan rituals with demonic rituals and actually include uh, the uh, elements of Druidism that are even in here too that paint a picture that's not tasteless. It gives a limitation, still feels vampire, definitely feels fiend-like. And, you know, it's, it's a me. So take it a look, give it a try, positive, you'll love it. And why I'm kind of stepping forward here is because I keep looking at this, and it's the dark arts of necromancy. Now, off the bat, I've been asked and asked and asked, can't I practice necromancy and be a good person? Mm. Well, if you're Granny Goodwitch, I guess so. But if you're not Granny Goodwitch... No. You know, you absolutely can. Even if you're Granny Goodwood, she wouldn't call it necromancy. She'd say she's a medium. And she speaks to the dead and she helps uh, lost loved ones find their favorite place uh, to, to move on. That's what Granny Goodwitch does. However, Nick, if I'm studying the dark arts of necromancy, am I a good person? Uh, it depends on, on really what your view of good is. Uh, if you enjoy tearing a hole through the Sidario and leeching tainted necrostink all over yourself and everybody around you, you're doing a pretty good job of being an outstanding <laughs> good necromancer. Tainted necrostink. Can you define that a little bit? Oh, well, there's actually a word for it. It's called the uh, sequela uh, or scar on the earth. Uh, oh. it, yes. It, so uh, now, now you're kind of thinking, well, what, what does that really mean? What's a, what's really a scar on the earth? Uh, it's a, it's everything from animals and people fleeing away in different directions being poisoned or uh or your own face rotting off of your off of your skull um all the way up to the the higher powers the more power you pull on from the other side the more drastic the effects get put into play here what i like about this update and it is a it is an outstanding update because it forces your player to address the issue that they are dealing with very, very dark, evil forces that are otherworldly and that pulling on that has a lasting effect, not just on the player, but the area around them. Now, what I'm shocked by when I think of these necromancy paths they had, I don't know how they could be misconstrued as evil, though. You got Path of the Skulls. What's evil about that? You talk to some skulls. It's good, right? Um, they're good people, uh, called the, they call themselves the Harbingers, uh, oh. 
Uh, I mean, uh, you may recognize that from somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure where. Uh, but the, it's a group called the Harbingers. They like to play with skulls. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and rumor is that somebody stuck them in a cave a long time ago. Um, but they're here now. And they've got this cool new path of necromancy, <laughs> which uh, is very, uh, very tight-knit and secret. <laughs> it starts out with very, very simple things. Like, uh, first of all, you just take a skull of somebody you kill. Um, in a nice way, of course, because nice we're way. nice people. We're nice I mean, yeah, yeah, you kill them um, with kindness, of course. Yes, <laughs> yep. And uh, and then you just uh, put that skull wherever you want, and you know, depending on on how well you do in your ritual, you can you can look through that skull from any time. You know, which I guess uh, at the end of the day gets called "Why is this skull in my bedroom?" <laughs> because that's what happens. You stick a skull somewhere and then look through it. People still see the skulls sitting here, and there's not many people I know who just leave skulls laying around. But you might, if you're a nice necromancer. Or, or, or phrenologist. Since the Dark Ages, that could be a phrenologist, right? I'm sure, just... sure. I think that was later than the Dark Ages Much that later. they came up with crazy stuff. But I'm trying to say I, that. I, <laughs> so, hey, it's just, we both got shovels. We're both digging furiously. Who knows how deep this hole goes? I, I feel as though, like, I don't know about y'all, if I go into someone's living room, I see a skull, like, on the coffee table, just looking at me, right? I can see, for them, the necromancer using it. They they need a discount security camera, right? They've got a skull lying around, might as well use it. If I walk into that house and see a skull on the coffee table, like a legit one, I'm walking out that front door again. Like, I don't... I, that's, that's like a number one warning sign. So, if you're trying to use it as, like, an inconspicuous way of um, spying on people or your stuff, I don't... Maybe that's just a sign that necromancers are so broken and jaded that they can't even relate to people, and so justifying they're not good people. You can't call this the dark arts necromancy and then argue that good people can use it. It's called the dark arts. Well, I don't know how you feel no, about no, no. that. I don't agree with you on that. If you come to my place, <laughs> if you come to my place, I can promise you that uh, I will have that skull that I can use, and you will not freak out because I have this, uh, you know, big. Uh, place where I put all the odd things I've collected over the years and the, the travels and I have microscopes I have um, frogs I have you know uh, kind of a um, did he say stuff. he has necroscopes he, and, he's got and, a microscopes microscopes and, okay and, and what I do is I love taxidermy but I'm just a little bit weird you know but everything is clean <laughs> and there is a, a lot of stuff and, and there is this stuffed uh, cat, because you know, is is my cat, and I didn't want him to leave, so he's there. I, and yeah, that's it. There is a skull of a cat, but yeah, it's a little bit weird, but okay. Yeah, you know, I don't feel so bad. And I, damn, I got you. I can cabinet of all these stuff. Once you said the cat from the same way, <laughs> I didn't want her to leave, so I just texted her. You know, she's there. We we should not watch the Poughkeepsie tapes together, Bob. Just uh, take these skulls. You can put them on your mailbox. You can stick them on the front door, wherever you feel comfortable, really. <laughs> We're uh, selling skulls but, now. Is what is this third? Well, that's not all we can do, right? There's more things. Uh, there's more. People people hide secrets from you. Did you know this? I, no, I, I had no idea. That's oh, it's lie. true. All you have to do is cut off their head, cast a ritual, and they will tell you their secrets. All of it. Yeah, but nice, nice. Cut off their head, like maybe they fell into a guillotine. This is the most. This is the most over the top <laughs> system of, of magic you haven't heard read. about. First of all, you haven't heard about the skull jumping spiders. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. You ever walk yeah. into a room where there's just a bunch of skulls sitting on the ground, they got fangs sitting on you, are like, this seems totally normal, until they can jump, like, up to a meter and a half to bite you and drain the blood out of you. Necromantic jumping beam, this I is got like, exactly. yeah, This is like the worst <laughs> trap ever. Nobody wants to fall into this pit. Yeah, I'm just it, so it, they're like mimics from uh, from Dark Souls. <laughs> yes. Where you, you just oh, approach yeah. and you do, 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 you open the chest and there is a giant skull that just whack, gets onto you with sharp teeth and drink your blood and that feeds the necromancer. Like, yeah. what? That's so wild. I'm still stuck in the fact that after had no other secrets. Like that's the oh. toughest parents ever. Jedekiah, are you sure? Your teacher said you uh, did school today. <laughs> you, you sure? Your father's cipher. You're right now sharpening the machete. You get one shot. And if we don't believe you, buddy. Are you going to tell us the truth? Or are we going to have to ask you in a serious way? It gets... Uh, it's dope. I'm going to tell you this right now. It gets worse. It, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, not only are you able to do that, but what you can also do is... Uh, you can become them in, in in essence, right? You can uh folks he's leaning on the edge of his seat. He has adjusted his entire body just charisma to leaning into the camera to tell me you can become them. <laughs> like dead serious. It's sorry, Nick, I had to point that Massive out. Massive boosts to performance and you gain their memories. All the way up until they're dead. Uh, provided on how well you perform this ritual. If they had a dirty secret that you chopped off their head to tell you, and they just didn't get around to telling you, you weren't happy with the result, keep going. It gets better. <laughs> now you can just learn all their dirty secrets, right? That place where they uh, they accidentally hid their dead their bodies. You know them all, right? There, there's nothing left to you. But uh, maybe you're not done yet. Maybe you're just not contented, right? Maybe they had some kind of power you wanted. Well, there's, a, there's such a thing as, a, well, table scraps from a diablerie. You might not have known this, right? Yeah. You know, when people diablerize, sometimes they don't finish their meal. <laughs> sometimes somebody can come in behind them and lick the plate clean and get just a little bit of something out of them. We knew that. We all own the Beckett Shahad Diary. Everyone listening knows Beckett Shahad Diary, and you were there to learn how Cappadocious left behind scraps... And when an antediluvian leaves behind scraps, they get angry. Right? Yeah, we know that. You're <laughs> supposed to destroy the Arcturxes. You're supposed to destroy the Arcturxes. <laughs> what is with all these Harry Potter-like parallels? Uh, what is he wrong for? How is did I not wrong? see this before? We've got Harry Potter. We've got Lord of the Rings. I didn't mention earlier, but I thought the Keepers of the Way were basically a bunch of mumras sitting in Alamut. I don't know if anyone else <laughs> All right, glad I got that one out of there. Continue. <laughs> oh, so but that's uh, that's just the harbingers, sir. Uh, there's a there's a well, there's a, another group of folks, uh, the Rossellinis, um, based out of Rome. Uh, they are well. There's different things they do. They're kind of doing the Lord's work, at least the mortal side that will show their face to the Pope, who sends them as emissaries to take care of problems. You know what I mean by problems? I need an old priest and a young priest problems. The way that these powers break down makes the path of sepulcher look kind of like broke ass joke. Now I, that's un, that's you need examples. That's unbelievable. That's a hardcore path. Okay, well let's start out with 
level one. Level one is help me find my keys. If there's a wraith in the room, you can find their fetter. Oh. Yeah. Oof. And of course, we're talking about the path of woe. Yep. Yeah, the path of woe. Sorry, folks. Whoa. Bob's going to keep me correct. Whoa. Now, is this like the path of woe? Like uh, like Keanu Reeves and Back to the Future? Uh, Not that good. Not uh, the that Matrix. Good. Oh, okay. But no, whoa. it's Path of Woe is Me. Uh, the uh, the Shakespearean woe. Um, so, uh, but uh, in the next, uh, the next levels of it, you can pull, level two, you can pull a wraith out of uh, out of the the shadowlands you know what i mean like if you were yeah. fishing ice fishing and you just dropped a lure down below and a wraith bit it you just go yoink you pull them out they're corporeal and vulnerable right in front of you so is this is this could this also work as like a redneck necromancy because i don't know about you but i also like fishing Hey, Paul, are you hungry? Far. I'm going to go fishing. Yeah, I'm going to go fishing too, but in a different way. You know how Ma died about a week out back? We put her in the creek. So, yeah, <laughs> she didn't give me the secret to apple pie moonshine. I'm going to go get her in there. I'll make you be right back. Is that what we're talking about? That is what we're talking about. That's Just what I'm talking sure. about. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, but on top of that, this. That's just the start of it, right? You can extend blood whips out of your hand and whip a ghost. You know, like if they're uh, they're just kind of hanging around and they're they're saying some stuff that's not so hot, you just whip them until they tell you what to do. You know, work that crucifix dominatrix blend. This is this is wild. We're gonna we're, we're gonna. I don't want to stop you, Nick, but we're gonna have to stop you because this is this is more than revealing about the dark arts of necromancy. On, on what's going on. Yep. And uh, what I'm going to say here, anybody have any parting comments about this very dark and necromantic trip we just took? Necromancy's not good. Okay. That's, that's uh, fair enough. Now, I- I- Illidan was uh, a necroman, and uh, when he consumed Cool Dance Call, it was based <laughs> on uh, infusing other people's powers from the skull. <laughs> Thomas is just the king of this. His I lo- I, I'm the Easter ge- uh, Easter egg guy. Th- that's I, what I am. <laughs> I'm reinstalling World of Warcraft now. <laughs> DJ, my man. Uh, we promised last but not least we would discuss the secrets of Sedite Sorcerer, as I like to call it. Thomas said we reached the peak with necromancy, and now we take the long, well, rather the short way off the mountain to discuss Sedite Sorcerer. Ah, uh, the, the, <laughs> the wind down. Uh, so the secrets of Sedite Sorcery is, well, how do I put this to you? It's pretty much the stories of what happens to the Witches of Echidna and why are the Witches of Echidna important. And especially because it is, and we, we just reviewed it in the anthologies book, it got mentioned once, but we never really spoke about what it was. We spoke about it in uh, the DA20. Why it's important, folks, is because the Witches of Echidna, pre the time of Tremere, when you needed someone with a boogie oogie, it was the Witches of Echidna you went to because they had what was otherwise known as thaumaturgy in the modern day. So pre-Tremere, you usually had an, a, a witch of Echidna who happened to be the person that you was your go-to. As time goes on, um, you start seeing them dwindle. Um, they're hunted by their own their own clan uh, because they just see set as a, another face of, of a monster mother. And uh, they start to spread out. And as they start to spread out, they're giving away their, their secrets. Uh, they want everyone to know the glory of that, which is the monster mother, and as well as what happens with it. Um, what we get into specifically when it gets here is a couple of things. I'll just point out the, the highlights because I thought it was really cool. One, Revelations Duat. This path was developed by them 
escaping Egypt, heading over to Greece, and somehow they met up with Lazarus. Funny how that happens, right? Didn't Lazarus also meet with a female cult before known as Lamia? He sure did. <laughs> what is it with him and female cults and always happen to trip upon them? Well, Kenneth Balsahar. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's, that's of course what it is. It always circles back. It to always circles back to sugar shorts. No, but um, he he helped kind of create and work this path in here. And what was really cool about this path, or at least in terms of mechanically, it's it's a uh, it, it's part thaumaturgy, part necromancy. Why? Because they're able to see spirits, weigh their souls, take a couple of things from them, and in the end, you get proto bane mummies. Um, I've ru- ruined it too much outside of the fact that it's a thing. Somehow they have access right there, to What you said right there makes this one of the... I, I felt when I read it too, it was one of the most awesome paths. Because it mm-hmm. combines those two. It's actually combining the very religion it came from. Yep. Right? Duat being the afterlife and combining those both. Mummy involvement. Well done. Right? That's I always like those paths that feel they belong to the culture. And what makes it sad though is... Uh... They have the reasons for doing it. You know, it, it's a perversion, especially when they get to that portion because they want to recreate life. But unfortunately, when you got vampires involved, ain't nothing good coming from them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> proto bane mummies are what you end up getting. Um, what it also talks about is how these witches of Echidna actually stretched out forward. Um, one of the things they also speak about is like the revelations of Eden, which is a path um, in which they met up with good old Kaital, the Snake of Eden, by Constantinople. And um, it's like a mini presence. It, it works off of like as much as you start giving people, maybe sometimes just giving people what they want is not really what they want. And this is a really good path for stripping people away um, from their willpowers, from their self-controls. And this is like a mechanic way of just being able to see it. Um, it also goes into the revelations of Midgard and how the witches of Echidna ended up meeting with, a, um, I forbid me for having a jersey tongue here, your mind can <laughs> Jorman Grunson. There we go. That's as for, best as it's going to get from me. Jorman, Jorman Gunder. Jorman yes, Gunder. There we go. Um, and Jorman it gives Gunders. background. Yeah. Even better, Nick. One thing that he can't say that I can't. Good. Um, but it gives background to him, and especially how they ended up coming with him. And what this path does that I thought was really cool is a lot of its early levels are about displacement of suffering. Whether you displace suffering from your, your ghoul or someone that you care about to make that pact, and uh, you put it upon yourself. Or you just shrug it off to one of them. Um, and what is also really cool about this particular path is that it is very cultish um, in, in everything it does. If you ever wanted to replay that scene and give someone that Tulsa Doom aspect of turning into a great snake, this is the one for you. Um, so that's that's the wind-down post so when good. it comes to Sedite Sorcery. So, does anyone uh, else have anything about so, that? So Tom, no, no, it's, it's definitely Thomas. I was, I was waiting on that. Voldemort! <laughs> you can create Nagini. You can yep. when you when you get harmed, yeah, pe- people get killed. You can have you know snaky eyes. Uh, the nose got cut off. How can you not become a perfect Voldemort with it? It's perfect. It's perfect. And then you you can also uh, erode their willpower, their humanity change their nature and demeanor so good. this is very very cold because you can torture a guy you can defend your homeland if you're an asamite uh, because it's your place you got to defend it um you can even you know use the force of nature to 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 put curse on people but change everything that they've built from nature their demeanor the humanity erode their willpower and transform them into a husk and then later on 
a, a, a snake, it's not only taking everything that you've built from, but they become slaves. It's the worst thing that could happen to your immortal being or even someone from the cultist. This is the worst. I hate Sittite. They're all snakes. <laughs> it raises a good question, right? Because of everything that you just talked about. Imagine that's one of your players at the table Ooh, that so has good. that happen to them. Suddenly you're, you're, you're blowing away their willpower. You're changing their nature, their demeanor, all the things that they worked and built on with that character. It's a, it's very powerful, but I would be very careful with it for sure mm -hmm. so that it doesn't ruin somebody's fun in the game. So, so to this point, because uh, we, we, we do have to wrap up, um, we're to the, uh, to the end of that, but more importantly, on that topic, all these, all, everything we've talked about up to this point, do remember Thomas uh, was a prophet and he said, this is really good in the hands of a storyteller. But folks, it's called the Toma Secrets. It's not called the Player's Guide. Right, it's the Toma Secrets. They didn't want to call it Storyteller's Handbook either because there's some cool stuff in here for players if the SD approves of it. And when I told you before, I still hold to. They finally saved money on printing. Do with this what you will. They don't need to say that anymore. It's been documented. It's been well introduced. You get that. Here's the cool stuff folks have been looking for and wanting guidance for and a little direction and definition for. And they gave you that. That's what makes this, this book awesome. Even more so, witchcraft. Everyone had a hard time digesting what paganism was mm. and what it could be. Because you look it up on the internet and everyone has a doctoral thesis and telling you what goes on. Tons and tons, tons of topics. But just seemed to be like a lot of blessings and what have you and ways to define what. Right. Because in real life, it's just good people living as a community deciding why the sun shines and why grass grows. Right. For the most part. From their perspective, what works for them from their culture. Right. A way to define that and live in what they agreed to be upon. Religion is the core of civilizations. That's where we started calming down and peace was a thing. Remember that. But this is the world of darkness. So when they get a hold of it, they make it something else entirely. When horror films get a hold of it, same thing. If, if it's good as light, imagine the dark. So the witchcraft section in here goes all into that. What is witchcraft in the dark medieval? It gives you all that minutiae you were struggling with to kind of get your head wrapped around, but it comes from the people that made the game you love to play. And it's a decent section. goes deep. Even goes into greater witchcraft that could be even more powerful than it was and, and ways to do it. Why we're not going into it is because, I promise you, that's a podcast unto itself. That section is deep. However, yep. I like the fact that we can get, and we would, five different ways to read that and what we could do with it and what they tell you about it. Because that's the point of it. It's to give you a jump-off point to make this your own, and there's all sorts you can be inspired of to read it. And to me, it's a brilliant section. Their chapter three, The Weight of Nobility, goes into the Fiefdoms and Vassalage, and I like to call it the quick way. If you didn't want to read all the other Dark Ages material and all mm, that, like and they, that. Had, they had huge books for it. Yeah. We, we reviewed them. They had stuff to go through. It's a bit of a dry read. This is like a couple pages. A couple pages get the same thing. Impactful, to the point. What you need to know to do it, to hit the ground running. And once you hear it, off to the races with you. Enjoy. Have fun. Got enough to be dangerous, and that's really what you need it for. Now, Knightly Orders are in here, too. Give updates. You know, an idea of how a knight might fight, uh, how they would be, uh, ways to ways to win that maybe knights would do. Not necessarily it always has to be combat. It could be tourneys. It could be um, just what they represent. There's different orders for different things, but they also give you a system of how to run them, and that's, that's what I think is the most important. I think obligatory, it's, it's hard to think what a Templar knight order would do in a given situation for an ST who may not be savvy with history or doesn't want to do the historical work, cool, get this book. 
They'll give you an idea of what it is, and you can make it your own, and it's perfect. The Canine Knight. This is the... This is a must. <laughs> I was... When we were reading about uh, canine orders and we were reviewing them, I remember going over the section going, just remember, chivalry is a different thing to a canine. To, to vampires, it's a fad. It's a fad they're using to hide behind. It's great that there's chivalry, but for them, it's a tool. They predate it. You can't convince a vampire elder that chivalry is the new way to be. They'll do it because mortals are doing it, but mostly they'll have a tool for it. But the young who are embracing this era where chivalry is everything, that's one thing. A lot of people didn't get it. This section goes, okay. We'll make it real quick for you. Here's here's the Canine Knight. Boom. All in one spot. They even jump into the uh, shared disciplines, the shared roads they have, the ideas behind it. That is going to win win your heart, I should say. And and Thomas, wind us down on this one section. I literally want to get here for you alone. You're Which cracking one? me up. Medieval Warfare. So Medieval Warfare is something that um, rekindled a, 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 an old souvenir I had when I was a uh, um, playing in Dark Ages when I was, I think, 18 years or 19 years old. And this is a very condensed, brief, and very enthusiastic ways of being a badass vampire lord and just cutting through everyone in your castle when you get uh, besieged. It is fast. It is enticing. Uh, you don't have to, to waste a lot of time. The, the pace kept in rolling hard. So you're basically... You know, in Kingdom of Heaven, and you're just cutting everything in your own path. And I find it very interesting, as you brilliantly said, it's the, if you have a lot of time and you want to, to read how to make and create a campaign in Dark Age, you have a lot of books to, to read. But this is a condensed way to understand how the clan struggles are eternal, but in the, the, the structure, in the federal structure, how to play Game of Thrones in Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, you can <laughs> add the geography, the mortal history to, of the era and create new reason to fight and how to wage war as a kindred, as night kindred, how the faith can have an impact on it, how you can find badass hunters with full of faith uh, with the Dasbog, uh, a list of demons, uh, and yeah, no, it's um, if you have one book, I think, to, 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 to watch, to read, to have the feeling what would be an epic quest with a dark narrative based on magic. And I don't know if I want to play a Dark Age book. This is the one. I'd agree. I'd agree 100%. And uh, that's, uh, that's better than I would have said about the medieval section. I thought it was good. I prefer... The, the parallels that Thomas throws out of nowhere. They're so enjoyable to me. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, that's, that's it for Medieval Warfare. We told you there's a faith section and there's an unholy section. I already know a thing you're going to see that you're going to kind of go, huh? What's this? Why is this here? Dark Thaumaturgy, unholiest of things. You're going to note off the bat uh, the tyranny of the worm that is in here. Level one's called Malfian Infection. To this, you owe this, no doubt, to the great Matthew Dawkins. We all know how he worked on Werewolf as well. And he feels a lot of parallels come into that. You said it before on the podcast when we talked to him. This is here as well. I think it's a very good blending. I think when we think Inferno, a lot of people overlook the fact that the worm has his hand. His scales do, do come into that as well, which is why it's called the unholiest of things. Unholy does not mean Satan. Not necessarily. It just means it's not holy. So the unclean, the very bad things. Like demon is just a bad spirit. 
not necessarily a Christian one. And that's the that's the whole idea in the cusp here, and it opens your mind to it. Definitely check it out. And of course, combination disciplines are in here. Alternate uh, a bit or bismuthism combos are here too. That's the entirety of the book. I would hope that you got from each and every one of us. And I am speaking on our behalf here. I know for a fact we love it. This is the book. That's why we went through it. There is more crunching here than explanation, but the explanation is enough to highlight the crunch for you to get the gist of it. And that's why this book sings. It's another outstanding V20 product uh, that they made uh, for the Dark Ages. And I highly, highly recommend it. Anything you guys want to add before we go? I will say, especially in that dark thermogenic section, this is where, where Thomas is, is screaming from the top of his lungs. There's an insert about Urshul Gee being the best beast all three feet of him practitioner of dark thermaturgy and how his obsessions led him to where he did before he went to a board. Bali, question mark? This I, is where you find it. I don't like you, DJ. I deliberately skipped that, but fine. <laughs> fine. Fine. Do it. I appreciate it. Can't, de- can't deny it. Thomas, my man, it is always a pleasure. I know we're trying to nail down the, the team, the duo, but uh, I understand you missed this one. Uh, we'll get him in the next one. Or, well, the next one you guys can. Of course, we'll keep kicking that list out to you so you know when. Uh, that does mean, folks. So, so you keep trapping me, uh, trapping me with more invitation in front of everyone, so I have to come back. This has to stop, Bob. This has to stop. I have a company to run. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will not quit. But anyway, <laughs> and I will come back for the third and last time. Watch for so, my return. He says third and last time. This isn't going to be a trilogy. This is going to be like a Jason series. There's going to be like twenty episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you, everybody. It's always a blast. I understand we went a little long, but we were having a good time. And I think it was definitely a good episode to have uh, to have performed. It was a blast for me. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM, at our email, info at 25 yearsvtmcom on Facebook at www facebook.com slash 25 years vtm or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com if you would like to support us we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade